Mac Folklore Radio, read by Derek. Macworld, February 1991. This was written well after the introduction of the disastrous 1989 Macintosh Portable, but before the PowerBook 100 series came into being in late 1991. The Iconoclast by Stephen Levy. Outbound and gagged, a small company's future is in Apple's hands. It was two Augusts ago that many of us became acquainted with what is now known as the Outbound Portable. One by one, the Macintosh Cognoscenti snuck out of the Macworld Expo festivities and negotiated their way to a ground-floor hospitality suite in a Boston hotel. We found a group of executives wearing Cheshire cat smiles, obligingly demonstrating what most everyone said was pretty much impossible in the summer of 1989 a true Macintosh laptop at a reasonable price. It was then called the Wallaby, acknowledging its marsupial talent of docking to a mother Macintosh. Oh, we tried to hide our enthusiasm. We circled the machine. Not much of a walk was required since the computer was no bigger than a reference book, say, the baseball encyclopedia, and we banged on its keyboard, tickled its pointing device, and pondered its backlit screen. If not everything seemed to work perfectly, we were assured that the product that eventually shipped would remedy those faults. Then we asked our questions. How can you do this without Apple suing you? We aren't selling Apple's proprietary technology, the Macintosh ROMs, came the answer. Those you supply yourself, in a Mac Plus or Mac SE, which becomes the docking device once the ROMs are transferred into the laptop. People have to provide their own ROMs? Yes, or bring in old Macs that would have otherwise been upgraded or discarded. Or they can find used Macs. And you're sure that Apple won't stop you? It's perfectly legal. We walked away with our hearts all aflutter, and our enthusiasm only increased when, a few months later, Apple Computer released its own pathetic version of a portable computer. A bulky, overpriced beast. Sure, the outbound, as it was finally called because of a trademark conflict with Wallaby, upon its release last April had a problem or two, but at least its designers were living on the same planet as their potential customers. The outbound was light enough to carry along on a trip, compact enough to use on an airplane, inexpensive enough to buy with a mere $5,000 bill, and you'd get back a nice piece of change. But is the outbound really bound for glory? Is the company destined to be a big player in the Macintosh community? Should you buy one? The product has now been selling for almost a year, and I have some big doubts. Compounding the uncertainty is an extremely oblique announcement made by Apple Computer last summer regarding, as a press release states, outbounds infringement on Apple's intellectual property rights. Apple stated that it now allows outbound to sell its products. However, again quoting the press release, specific details of the agreement were not made public. One detail that was most certainly not in the agreement, though, was the one that outbound officials wanted most, the ability to package Apple's ROMs with their computer. Born to ROM Why was this crucial? Because without it, Outbound, even with the Apple agreement, is a quasi-product, 
a curiosity rather than a complete computer. The protocol for buying an outbound would make Rube Goldberg proud. You don't just saunter into a dealer, plunk down your cash and walk off with a laptop. You must also buy, or otherwise provide, a PLUS or SE from which the outbound dealer extracts the ROMs and installs them in the outbound. You return home with two computers, sort of, the outbound and a lobotomized Mac that works only when docked to the newly loaded outbound. Presumably, users will work on the docked setup at home, taking the laptop on the road. This sounded all right when they explained it to us in Boston 18 months ago, but in the cold light of reason, the scheme is flawed. At outbound's prices, $3,000 for a floppy disk version, $4,000 for a hard drive machine, and a few hundred more for various extras, some of them essential, it's clear that the outbound customers aren't the types who have Mac Pluses on their desktops. No, they're power users, and the wimpy Macintoshes they plundered for the ROMs might as well be used as high-tech pinatas. No wonder, then, that some outbound dealers operate in violation of outbound policy, offering to sell prospective customers laptops complete with ROMs. Though Apple Computer has a problem with this, the company refers to ROMs in this situation, no matter where their origin, as pirated, the dealers are often quite brazen about the practice. In preparing this column, I called three outbound dealers, describing myself as someone who had a Mac 2 and no interest in using a less powerful machine on the desktop. Did this mean I had to buy a Plus or an SE? I figured if any of the dealers was cheating on the rules, they probably wouldn't deal with me on the phone. But I was wrong. The first dealer, not affiliated with Apple, said not to worry. He would sell me ROMs for $180. US the second, who was an Apple dealer, also assured me that there was no problem and ROMs would cost me $150 extra. Only the third seller, also an Apple dealer, told me that I was out of luck. According to the official procedure, I must supply a Mac Plus or an SE. However, this dealer offered me a floor model of the outbound along with the Mac Plus that was on display. The discount was considerable. Why? Because we're not moving the product and we want to clear out inventory. At first blush, it would seem good news that one can buy the outbound complete with ROMs for only a pittance more than the original price. But many users, particularly corporate buyers, are understandably wary of a scheme that circumvents standard company policy, both Apple's and Outbound's. Robert B. Luthen, the chief operating officer of Outbound, sounded quite glum when I described my experience to him. The dealer's instructions are to follow the installation procedure, says Luthen. And if they don't? We can't control them, he says. While not disclosing any sales figures, Luthen contends that Outbound is doing quite well, selling computers, quote, ahead of our plan. But he admits that his company's fortunes would be considerably improved if Outbound were allowed to sell Apple ROMs along with the computer. And in July 1991, they did reach an agreement with Apple to do just that. It's a market resistance point for sure. We feel we could better serve our customers if our relationship with Apple were broader. In the meantime, many outbound dealers are apparently using sleight of hand as a way of getting machines out the door. That doesn't inspire confidence in a company.
Taking to the Air ROMs or no ROMs, Outbound has critics who think that the computer doesn't offer much. I'm really skeptical about the whole product, says consultant Richard Schaefer of Technologic. Detractors cite reliability questions. Some early problems, which Outbound claims have been corrected, have tarred the computer's reputation. A less-than-crisp screen display, a built-in lack of power due to its reliance on the chips from Apple's least powerful and now obsolete computers, and a confounding replacement for the mouse, a finger-controlled device called the Isopoint. Craig Culver, who invented the Isopoint, charges that Outbound has poorly implemented his creation. Strangely, some of the criticism comes from Apple Computer, co-signer of the Mysterious Agreement. Apple's director of worldwide CPU marketing, Brody Keast, says it's an interesting product, but not right for Apple or its customers. The battery life is under three hours. The ISO point isn't right for most people. You can't have a model with both a floppy and a hard disk drive. The display is not that good. The weight is heavier than you'd like to see on a laptop. And when you calculate the cost of a complete system, the price is only a few hundred dollars more than our portable. My own assessment is not as harsh. I've been testing the outbound for some time, and I'm moderately impressed. Not that it's been all roses. At around 10 pounds, the computer is more leaden than most laptops. The display is all too often haunted by smeary ghosts of Pixel's past. It did take me a while before I finally reached the point where my isopoint skills could be rated as adequate. Things got a lot better when Outbound released a new version of its software, though according to Culver, the Outbound isopoint is still, quote, not okay. Mechanically, it's got problems. And the lobotomized Mac that accompanied my Outbound had no trouble finding its way to the closet. Yet, I found the Outbound to be sufficiently useful to justify its presence on short business trips. In fact, it's the only decent alternative available to me as someone who wants to run Macintosh software in any airplane without the desk space of Air Force One. Even more encouraging was the fact that, during the few months I've had the Outbound, the company made some necessary improvements. Outbound's smartest move was the addition of a cable that allows you to perform the novel task of getting information in and out of the computer. Outbound charges $150 US for this SCSI adapter, but this option should be provided as standard equipment. Another vital accessory was a new compact external floppy disk drive. I don't want to sugarcoat the issue. There are still problems. Chief among them is the limited battery life and the compounding problem that unless you keep the machine continually recharged, you may lose information on the so-called silicon disk. In fact, even when using the power cord, the general performance of a battery low outbound gets pretty dippy, with confusing error screens popping up. But overall, I can live with an outbound. Moreover, I would like to see it evolve from a decent laptop to a fine product. Lapped by the competition. Unfortunately, I'm not sure whether Outbound will have the opportunity to grow and thrive. The company's future depends largely on what is in that secret agreement with Apple. An agreement that Outbound could not live without since it stilled the constant threat of a lawsuit from, as Robert Luthen puts it, Big Brother. As one might expect, 
The pact's secrecy has generated a cauldron of rumors about what Outbound gave up to Apple. Many industry observers assume that Apple, in exchange for some amount of cash and a promise not to unleash its attack lawyers on the nascent company, purchased Outbound's assets, notably its technology. Indeed, one former Outbound employee assured me that Apple now owned Outbound's technology, leasing it back to the company for a period of under three years. The principals would not comment, of course, but if that is an accurate characterization, Outbound's future depends on Apple's whim. In any case, since we don't know, we cannot rule out the worst. While Outbound seems to think secrecy suits its purposes, its potential customers may not want to deal with a company that proudly unfurls a pact and then refuses to divulge its implications. But whether or not Apple controls Outbound's technology, the agreement demonstrates one thing above anything else. Apple controls the marketplace for anything that follows the Macintosh standard. Make no mistake about it, Apple's interests were not in emulating the Outbound, but in maintaining an ironclad grip on the Mac standard. Outbound has no particular technology that we want, says Brody Keist, confirming that the importance of the agreement was precedent. Anyone else trying a similar laptop scheme will be operating under the specter of copyright infringement. But when I asked Keist about Apple's refusal to license its ROMs to Outbound, or at least to allow its customers to purchase ROMs directly, Keist provided a surprising response. It was not so much the principle that stopped Apple from considering options like that, but the fact that Outbound's computer was not up to Apple's snuff. Keist confirmed that for a superior product, Apple might have been willing to deal. Come on now, Brody. Does Apple Computer really expect a leading-edge company to devote brilliant engineering skills and millions of dollars to develop a computer whose fate depends entirely upon Apple's willingness to let it live? Given Apple's aggressive stance toward protecting its property rights, it is remarkable that we have anything as good as the outbound available in the marketplace. In the MS-DOS world, that huge universe that Apple presumably is trying to compete with, there are myriad choices of laptop and portable computers, dazzling models that make the outbound and Apple's portable look sick. That is not simply because the task of creating a Mac laptop is more difficult, it's because Apple has closed off the marketplace. One day, I am sure, Apple will keep its publicly stated promise to develop a line of portable computers that address varied customer needs much in the same way that Apple provides a choice of desktop models. These may, or they may not, be developed in tandem with outside firms. Rumors abound that Sony or Toshiba might be among them. But Apple needs market share now, and we need competitive Macintosh laptops now. Instead of playing games with Outbound's future, Apple should tend to its own, and play some serious catch-up with the rest of the world. Jean-Louis Gasset asserts that he wanted Sony's help to begin with on the original portable. On his publication, The Monday Note, Gasset writes, Another project, the Mac Portable, isn't as successful. Convinced it's going to be too big and heavy, I want to bench the project lead and ask Sony to partner with us to develop a much smaller portable Mac. It seems like a perfect marriage. Sony is already a well-liked Apple partner, and their talent for miniaturization 
aesthetics, and good manufacturing is indisputable. I get strong pushback on the proposed moves, complete with accusations of being anti-American. I lose my nerve and capitulate. I introduce the Mac Portable, building it on stage to friendly applause. It's a fun moment, but real-world customers don't flock to the new machine. I get the last laugh, however, in October 1991, after Gasset was kicked out, the PowerBook 100, the, quote, 10th greatest PC of all time, is released, designed and manufactured by Sony. The two-piece outbound evolved into the Outbound 2000 series of notebooks. These machines bore a much closer resemblance to the PowerBook 100 series. I could read you the reviews of the Outbound 2000 series, but they repeat much of what I've already covered. Good compatibility, full-size keyboard, somewhat modest LCD quality, and easy upgradability, including CPU options. There were only three exceptional points across all the reviews. 1. The 2000 series wasn't FCC certified for home use. 2. They were initially priced 500 to 600 US dollars higher than their PowerBook 100 series counterparts. And 3. Nobody, nobody liked the ISO point, later renamed the trackbar. Things came to a close as outlined by this March 1993 Macworld News Bulletin. Down and out. Outbound systems whose lightweight, Mac-based portable computers beat Apple's PowerBooks to the market by three months has essentially ceased operations. Outbound stopped making its notebook systems in December 1992 and laid off most of its employees. A spokesperson for the Boulder, Colorado firm says it will continue to service its portables until it arranges for another company to take over service. That company was Perfit, also of Boulder, that lasted another year. And that's the last we heard of Outbound in Macworld. You have to wonder what things would look like now if the first Outbound laptop system had beat the Macintosh portable to market by a much wider margin than it eventually did. Uh -huh.